came here with nothing but all that you have given me. <laughs> Make something new out of me. And if anybody can, he can. He's the one, right? I don't know. I'm just going to be real honest with you, <laughs> which is good for a pastor standing in front of the congregation. I love it when you start singing with, with the soloist, with the praise team. I love it. I love it. It's a, it's a sound like no other. It's beautiful. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> um, as we turn to Philippians chapter 3, the songs that we have sung this morning and uh, the, the thought that we want to put out there is a very simple thought, and it is this, to know Him. To know Him. What's the big deal about knowing Him? Do I want to know Him? Do I know Him enough? Do I want to know Him more? Just take that phrase, to know Him, and just mull that around in your head for a little bit till we get to our, our Scripture and to our message. But I want to share a story with you. Some of you will probably figure out who this is about before I get to the end of it. But there was a young man many years ago, and he could really sing. And his father was a preacher, and he grew up singing in church, of course. Uh, that's what that's what every pastor wants, right? A kid that can sing, another kid that can play the piano, and maybe a third kid that is going to be a preacher too. I don't know. Anyway, uh, his son could sing, and his son would sing in church. And one day he was given a great opportunity from a local radio station to sing for that local radio station. And it was an opportunity that a lot of people envied because this was during the Great Depression. And there weren't a lot of jobs and people weren't making money. But he got a great opportunity to use a gift that God had given him to sing at a local radio station. And so he, he got the job and he started singing. But he always felt uncomfortable because he was asked to sing secular songs. And he really didn't want to sing those songs. He wanted to sing songs about his Savior. So that's how he for for quite a while. And then finally, after many years, he was given the opportunity to sing on the Moody radio station in Chicago. And while he was there, uh, he was invited by a local pastor to come and sing in, in a Sunday evening program that was called Songs in the Night. Later, when that young preacher became an evangelist, that same young man was invited to join him as he went on worldwide crusades. So you know who it is yet? Well, the evangelist that goes on worldwide crusades, who's that probably going to be? Billy Graham. And who went around and sang a lot with Billy Graham? George Beverly Shea. It was George Beverly Shea. And, uh, and he, one of the first songs that he recorded was this song, and I know most of you will know this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses and lands, or lands. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hands. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to His dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to His holy name. And of course, than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway, I'd rather have Jesus than anything the world affords today. So that was, uh, what a great song, what a, what a thing to know too, 
that this song was probably inspired by the scripture that we're going to be reading today from Philippians chapter 3. But just a little bit more about Mr. Shea. He holds a world record that will most likely never be broken. And it is this, that during his last lifetime, it is estimated that he sang live to a cumulative audience of over 220 million people. 220 million people. So take that, Katy Perry and Lady Gaga and uh, I don't, Backstreet Boys, I don't know. Somebody take that, okay? All right. So I found this too, and I really like this, and I want to read this before we read our scripture. To the more we know God clearly, the more we would love him dearly, and the more we love him dearly, the more we would follow him nearly. And that's not nearly like, well, I nearly followed him, but I decided not to. No, being near to him is the thought or the idea. So all those things being said, let's read some scripture. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to begin with verse number 7. Philippians 3, verse number 7. But what things were gained to me, those things I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, garbage, trash, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The only come through faith in God. That I may know him, that I may know him, to know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. In other words, I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, in other words, forgetting the past and all the junk that happened back there, because it's back there, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, looking forward to what's ahead. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And we'll finish our, our reading there. So what we have here is, is Paul uh, telling the people, or anybody that would read these words from here on out, that his desire, even though, even though he had known Christ for many years, his desire was to know him, the power of his resurrection, and being conformed to his death and the fellowship of his sufferings. So it's something he desired. It's not something that once he had, become, had come into a relationship, that's it, I know him, I got it, I'm done. He wanted to continue to know. He wanted to continue to grow. He wanted to continue to understand. And the beauty of that, and the really neat thing about that is, one of God's greatest goals, if not the greatest goal for God in your life, is for you to know him. 
No, he doesn't want you to be a he doesn't want you to go to college and make straight A's and and get a great job and never want for anything the rest of your life. That sounds really good, doesn't it? I think we'd all probably sign up for that, uh, possibly. And it may be that that is his desire and his will for your life, and it could be that that's what happens. But more than that, even, and, and we see that in the song lyrics that we just read, you know, he wants you to know him because what he can give you is what you need. And as you grow in that and as you understand that, you begin to see not only is it what I need, it's what I want. And that's where Paul was at. He, he needed it and he wanted it and he desired it. So when we look at ourselves and we look at our lives, how important is it to us, even if we've known him for 30, 40, 50 years or for three years, how important is it for us to know him, to know him more, to understand him better? Is it a desire that we have? Are we pressing towards that? Are we moving forward for that? Or are we satisfied with Okay, because our ticket to heaven has been purchased. Are we just fine with the way things are? Or do we have a hunger? Do we have a longing? That's what God wants for us. One of His greatest goals is for us to know Him. And you take a look at some of the greatest believers in the Word of God, and you see it in their lives too. You take a look back at Moses in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. This is what he said. Please, this is what Moses said. He pleaded, please, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And then we go to the Psalms, and we hear the psalmist say in so many phrases, so many ways, what he says in Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Now, we've all been thirsty, haven't we? I'm going to take care of something right now. I know everybody wants some of this, don't they? Okay. Then you can understand this is how, this is how we should desire Him. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. And then we've got Paul right here in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Even though he'd known Christ for 20-some years, somewhere around in there, he longs to know Him more. He longs to know Him more. Can that be said of us? Can we honestly say, I know Him, but oh, I want to know Him more. Have you, have you grown in your relationship enough to know that you don't have it all figured out? You haven't got Him all figured out. But the more you figure out, the more you want to know. So God wants us to know Him better. Uh, God wants us to know who He is. God wants us to know Him better. And we need to understand that word know that Paul uses. That word that, that he uses there. Because it means something a little bit more than what we would think the word know. K-N-O-W means. Now it doesn't mean just knowing facts about God. We all know facts about God. Well, God's the creator. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. Um, he, he told Noah to build an ark. He did this. He did that. We know facts about him. We can spout those facts out. That's not what we're talking about. And we're also not talking about knowing him in a casual way. Like, I know the man upstairs. Or Jesus is my homeboy. That kind of casual acquaintance acquaintance 
But what he's talking about here, and listen to this, the word know that he uses is the same word that's used. It's the same word that's used to talk about a husband and wife know one another. He wants us to have a close, and this is a word we use a lot, personal relationship. He wants us to have a personal relationship, not just a fact-giving or casual, hey, how you doing kind of thing, but he wants us to know him. And again, like a husband knows a wife. Now think about that for just a minute. To kind of give you some, something to, 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 to help you understand it a little better, let me just say that if I ever go to the grocery store, I know what things to buy my wife. I know what she likes. I know what brand of whatever she likes. I know that she will not eat this, but she will eat that. Or she doesn't use she uses that. So I kind of know that because we've been married for over a quarter of a century. That sounds like a long time, doesn't it? And we, we, we know each other. And I can tell you as well that when we talk on the phone by the tone of her voice, I can tell you that maybe things aren't going that great or they are going good. And then when she comes home and we, we talk or when she walks through the door, if I happen to get home before she does, I know what kind of day she's had by the look on her face. Yeah. And I've also learned and am still learning when to talk and when to listen. When to talk and when to listen. So, so we know each other very well. We're very close. We have a close relationship. That's the kind of relationship that Paul wants to have with God. That's the kind of relationship that God wants us to have with Him. So we kind of sometimes overuse that word personal, but what other way can we describe it? Intimate. We need to have a personal and intimate relationship with God. What does that look like in your life and in mine? What does that look like? What does it look like? That's, that's what Paul was desiring, something very close and very intimate and very personal. He wanted to know God. He wanted to know God, and that's how much God wants us to know Him. Because He's got some things He wants to show us. And he's got some things He wants to tell us. And He's got some things He wants us to understand. And if we don't get past that, He created the world, He's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, and Jesus is my homeboy, if we don't get past that to, God, I need you today. God, I know that when I got to work and looked on my calendar and read that verse, I know that you put that there for me. And you may think I'm crazy. And that may be an unnecessary statement because you probably do think that sometimes. But I think that God can even, if he wants to, change the verse that was already there and put the verse you need right there. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? I don't know. I think he can do anything. So there's some, there's some things that, that God can do for us. There is, a, there is a life that he wants us to live. Last week, I think we asked the question, are you happy with the life that you are living? Do you like the life that you're living in the Lord? And to know him and to know the power of his resurrection, to know him will help us to live the kind of life, not only that he wants us to live, but the kind of life that we need to live and then as we begin living that life, it'll be the kind of life that we want to live as well. And we'll realize that all that we had done to pursue things of this world 
were for nothing. But when we pursued the things of God, it led somewhere and it meant something. And on the surface, uh, when we get out into this world, we don't really think about that a whole lot. Do you ever ask God, I'm going to chase rabbits here, but do you ever ask God when you pull up to the drive through food restaurant, God, what should I order? <laughs> you ever done that? I see a salad, but I also see a McFlurry. God, the McFlurry reminds me of when you make it snow. I'll get a McFlurry. You know, that's how we think, isn't it? But do you ever ask yourself the question, Lord, I need to eat. Should I just grab something here at home or should I go through the drive-thru? You know, drive throughs are fine. You know, we can do things in moderation, right? We can do that. But, you know, just the little things that you do throughout the day, do you talk to God about them? Do you feel like, if I do that, I'll feel like I'm weird or crazy? Well, welcome. Welcome to the life of a Christian. Strange and peculiar people you are. That's what the Bible says. Aliens you are. That's what the Bible says. So let's get used to it, okay? So talk to God. Talk to God about these things. But what's the point? What's the point of knowing God? What's the point? What's Paul getting at here? I want to talk about three, just three observations from this Scripture about the kind of life that we can have and why Jesus wants us to get to know Him. And the first thing is pretty simple. And I took it from one of the words that we see in the Scripture there. I believe that Jesus wants us to know Him because He can give us an excellent life. He can give us an excellent life. Every Christian in here today uh, has an excellent life. You have troubles. I do not doubt that. You have uh, issues. You have things that are of concern going on in your life. But you know what? It's temporary. It's not going to last forever. And it's an excellent life. You know, we have people in our lives. Sometimes the people in our lives cause us all the stress that we have in our life. But thank God we've got people in our lives. Thank God we've got that alarm clock to wake us up in the morning. Thank God we've got a job to go to. Thank God we've got a house to live in. We've got so much to be thankful for. But all let's look past even all of that, and we know that one day we're not going to have to deal with all the junk down here anymore. We're going to be in heaven because, because of the excellent life that he has given us. In verses 7 and 8, Paul says, you know, what things I used to think were a big deal, things that were gained to me, I've counted them lost for Christ. You know, Christ is the most important thing. Nothing else can, can come even close. I count all things lost for the excellence, it says, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage, trash, and yes, we saw the word dung, D-U-N-G, that I may gain Christ. There's one, uh, there's one translation that, said, that talks about the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. So what Paul is saying here is there's nothing better. And we should know this, and we probably do. There is nothing better than getting to know Christ, getting to know who He is. So here's Paul's background up to the point that we're at right now. This is how he started this chapter. In the verses before verse 7, he went down through a list of his qualifications. He basically did his resume for us. And he let us know the kind of person that he was and what he had done in his life. He said basically in verse 4, if, if I can have confidence in anybody, I can have confidence in myself because let me tell you about me and let me tell you about what I've done. 
I was circumcised when I was eight days old, which was a big deal. I was circumcised, and I was born into a pure-blooded Jewish family from the line of the uh, tribe of Benjamin. Uh, I'm a real Jew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees, and nobody, nobody else in the world demanded stricter obedience to the Jewish law than the Pharisees. I was the best of the best. I was a Pharisee. And boy, talk about being zealous at what I was doing. I was really all about persecuting the church. Persecuting the church. And I obeyed the Jewish law so carefully that I was never accused of messing anything up. So he laid it down there. He he let us know how great he was. And if he he could be confident in anything or if he could be confident in anyone, it was himself. That was his security. That was his source of confidence. That was his source of well-being. How many of us walk around with understanding, well, I'm a pretty intelligent individual, and I've, I've made really good grades. I'm making good grades now, and I intend to make good grades when I further my education. And I'm an athletic person, and I take care of myself, and I do this, and I do that, and I, and I have won these awards, and I plan on winning these scholarships, and I plan on being the one chosen for the promotion at work, and I'm not going to stay where I'm at. I'm going to climb the ladder until I get to the top, and then I'm going to move to a bigger and better company because I can and I will, and I've got the ability. And we're counting on that. We are leaning on that. That is what we are counting on. What Paul is saying here, though, is that when I met Jesus, my life changed forever, though. And all that stuff that I was confident in, All that stuff that gave me self-confidence and independence was nothing. And I counted it as trash compared to knowing Jesus. So is that how important your relationship with Him is? Is that how important my relationship is? That I don't count on what I have done and I've been able to accomplish in the past. I'm just counting on Him. And what he's doing in my life. You get the difference there? It's kind of like if you, if you walk up to a Christian and uh, you ask him, well, who are you? Well, just an individual. It doesn't even have to be a Christian. And you ask them who they are and they're going to tell you all the things they've done. Because to them, their identity is tied to what they've done and how they performed. But for us as Christians, when we are asked that question, who are you? Well, I'm his and he is mine and I am nothing without him. So he is all that I am, and he is all that I ever want to be. There's our answer. And talk about flooring some people. They won't know what to do with that. But Paul said in verse 7, What things were gained to me, these things I have counted as lost. They're worthless when you compare it to Christ. I also count all things less for the excellence of knowing him, he says. So Paul saw that everything that he had, everything that he was, everything that he could count on up to this point was nothing compared to the treasure, the very treasure of knowing Jesus Christ. And that's true of anything that you have acquired. That is true of anything that you have ever achieved or ever will. You know, some of us have big dreams and we're looking forward to big big things in our lives and we want this to happen and we want that to happen and it's good to have a plan but we, I, I refer back to the prayer that my savior prayed <laughs> not my will but thine be done 
Are we okay with that? Are we okay with that? As His children, as believers, as followers of Christ, we should definitely be okay with that. Without any stipulation. Not my will, but thine be done, but I really would like to have this if it's okay with you. you know. He likes to hear what your dreams and your, and your wants and your desires are. He likes for you to talk about them to Him. But He also likes to know that, but God, whatever you want to do is okay with me. And this is, there's, this is such a very practical way of putting this to help us to understand it. I think everybody here, or a lot of people here will know who James Dobson is. He founded Focus on the Family. And I don't know if many of you know this, but he loved to play tennis. That will excite some of you in here, because some of you like to play tennis. But he really enjoyed playing tennis. And what he really wanted to do more than anything else when he was in high school is he wanted to win the school's tennis championship. So he worked hard, and he practiced, and he worked hard, and he practiced. And he, he was a success, and he won. And he won, and he got a really big trophy. And he was very proud of that trophy, and they displayed that trophy in the trophy case at the school. Now, let me, let me ask, and don't raise your hand, but have any of you ever won a trophy or been part of a team that won some type of great honor or had some kind of great achievement, and you won a trophy and the school, put it in the trophy case? Maybe you, you kind of understand what that feels like. Okay. So he, you know, he always had that in the back of his mind. You know, I may have had a bad day, but hey, I've got a, a championship tennis, a tennis championship trophy and the trophy case back at my high school. <sighs> you know. So one day, much to his surprise, he gets this trophy in the mail and with a little letter that said, we're remodeling the school, and we found this in the trash, and we thought somebody, we thought you might want it. So we wanted to send it to you. <laughs> so here's what he had to say about this. He said, given enough time, all your trophies will be trashed by somebody else. But here's the understanding, and here's, here's the application. Everything is trash compared to knowing Jesus. Everything. So he wants to give us an excellent life. Nothing can compare to the excellence, what we're told, the excellence of knowing Jesus. He can give us an excellent life. But he also wants us to know him, and this is a big deal. This will be a big deal for everybody in here. He wants us to know him because he can give us eternal life. Amen. Yes, absolutely. In verse number 9, Paul was, Paul was thinking about God's gift of eternal life. He talked about being found in Christ, not having his own righteousness, which was from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So Paul had given up on having his own righteousness because he realized that his own righteousness could never measure up to God's perfection. And if it could be said of anyone, it could be said of Paul, that he kept the Old Testament ceremonial law better than anybody else did. But here's the issue. He kept the law, but his heart was filled with bitterness as he kept that law. So what good really was that law? So that's why Jesus came to fulfill the law. And Paul, who was once filled with bitterness and hatred, he, he, he was so aware of his sins in his life 
that he even called himself the chief, the chief of sinners. In verse number 9, if you look at the New Living Translation, it says these words, I no longer count on my own goodness or my ability to obey God's law, but I trust Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Not human effort, not keeping things and doing things, but it depends on faith. So the truth that, that you need, that you need and that you and I need God's merciful love as much as the worst sinner is, is a true statement. We need His love just like the, the world that's lost in sin and darkness out there needs His love. And we have such a, such a habit of looking at our own sin and looking at somebody else's sin and comparing that sin. And we think about other people's sins as being much worse than ours. Or maybe we look at our sin as being much worse than other people's. But sin is sin, is it not? And sin is what keeps us from God. If we do not allow Him to take care of our sin in the way that He has made provision to do that, there's no way we can take care of it ourselves. Um, Alan Perkins said this, and I like this, and I want you to pay close attention to this. He said, it doesn't matter if you're a little better than somebody else or even a lot better than somebody else. You're still guilty of sin. Think about that. You're still guilty of sin. You're still condemned. The person who jumps halfway across the Grand Canyon winds up just as dead as the person who is just able to jump eight feet out. You're all going to fall down and you're all going to die. Or we. Let me throw myself in there too. We. So we all need. We all need God's love. We all need God's forgiveness. The the, the worst sinner, the halfway to the worst sinner, the not-so-bad sinner, are still all sinners. And all sinners need salvation. All sinners need forgiveness. So that's why we don't depend on our own righteousness, the good, the halfway, or the full, to the full extent, bad, bad sinner that we are. We can't depend on our righteousness. It's never going to be enough, so we depend on His righteousness. His righteousness. Ours will never be enough. And the only way that I can get that, the only way that I can have God's righteousness, the only way that you can have God's righteousness is a life through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. A life through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that the Bible is true. Faith that the Bible is true in what it says about sin. Faith that God loves me and God loves you in spite of your sin. Faith that God became a man and He lived His life on this earth and He died on the cross to pay for our sins. Faith that He rose again on the third day. Faith that Jesus will forgive all of our sins and give us eternal life if we open up our hearts and lives to receive Him as our Lord and Savior. Faith in Him. That's how we get His righteousness. And when we put our faith in Jesus, all sorts of wonderful things happen. All sorts of wonderful things happen. Our sins are forgiven. We receive His righteousness. We get the Holy Spirit. 
we know that we will have eternal life in heaven with him. And all of that exists and can only exist through knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord, as Lord and Savior. So this is why in verses 9 through 11, Paul said, this is why he said that he wanted to be found in Jesus, not having his own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. So Jesus wants us to know him because he can give us eternal life. And there is no life worth living or having no eternal life apart from knowing Jesus Christ in a personal way because there is no other way to the Father and there is no other way to heaven than through Jesus Christ. He is the only way. We learned that in Bible school. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We see this same truth being illustrated and being prayed and the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. In John 17, Jesus said these words to, to God the Father. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So there is our eternal life, to know God, to know Jesus. So there is, there is no eternal life. There is no eternal life in trying to keep God's rules and trying to keep everything and do everything and be everything and do everything and keep everything and do everything. There is no eternal life in that because you will never be able to keep them all. I will never be able to keep them all. It just can't be done. And there is also no eternal life in religious things. I want you to listen to me when I say this. There is no eternal life in coming to church. There is no eternal life in being baptized. There's no eternal life in reading your Bible. And there's no eternal life in praying unless you know Jesus in a personal way. Do you think lost people pray? You think lost people read their Bible? You think lost people go to church? You think lost people have been baptized? What do you think? Possibility there could be some here today that are in that position. But there is no eternal life other than what can be found through Jesus. And that's how we know God the Father through Jesus. And that is our eternal life. Uh, Michael Dean told a story about a time he was on an airplane. And he was reading a book on the history of Christianity which is almost as bad as reading the Bible when you have to sit beside of somebody who's an unbeliever, right? They see you reading something that has Bible in it, and they're like, great, you know. But he, he lucked up this time. He sat beside of somebody who was really interested in what he was reading. And he began to talk uh, to him about what he was reading, and he began to ask questions, and he thought, this guy must be, this guy must be from seminary. He just knows everything. And so... Michael began to wonder if he was a Christian just by some of the things that this man was saying. He had a lot of knowledge, but he began to wonder, I wonder if he's a believer. And so he asked him, he just outright asked him, he said, are you a Christian? And the, and the man looked down and he said, I can't say that I am. And so he went on to explain that he was 56 years old and he had been reading the Bible since he was six years old. So for 50 years He'd been reading the Bible, but for some reason or other, he just could not get to the point of belief. 
And that man knew. He knew a lot about the Bible. He had a lot of that factual knowledge about the Bible. But he didn't know Jesus. And so Michael just simply pointed him to the cross and urged him to call on Jesus for salvation and for forgiveness. A simple statement that probably in this man's presence we would have thought, surely someone's talked to him about this. Surely he sees this for himself. Just a simple statement, pointing him to the cross for salvation and for forgiveness. And so the man said, well, let me think about it. And he did. And he, he thought about it for a while. And then he, he, he asked Michael the question, why should, why should I put it off any longer? And Michael looked back at him and said, why should you put it off any longer? And so he got quiet for a minute. He bowed his head. And when he lifted his head, he said these words, he said, my wife is not going to recognize me when I get home. I can't wait to call her and let her know that I am now a Christian. I have gone to Christ and I've asked him to save me. Now, that's, that's too simple, right? <laughs> it's, that's too easy, right? I mean, surely a man that's read the Bible for 50 years already knew that, Right? perspective here how many times have you read a chapter let's say you're taking a chemistry class and you read a chapter and you can't remember anything you've read and you take a quiz and you fail it it doesn't have to be chemistry it could be algebra it could be math it could be anything how many times have we read the bible and we just didn't quite get it but when somebody who just gives us a very simple and pointed question because because seeds have been planted and watered through this man's life, I'm sure he read the Word of God. He, under, he, he read some things. He knew some things. And it's just like a seed needs sunshine and a seed needs water to grow. This man just needed somebody to come along and water what had been planted, right? And that's what he was doing. He said, my wife is not going to be able to recognize me. He said, I understand now for the first time in my life for the first time in my life, I understand. Now I think I can explain to my brother the questions he has long been asking me. Up until that moment, the Bible had always been a, a story about somebody else. But now it's my story. And it had always been a book about other people, but now it's a book about my people. And then he leaned over a little closer to him and he said, I'm so excited all I want to do is run up and down these aisles and shout for joy, which I don't believe that he did. But you know, he understood. It's not through reading the Bible. It's not through doing religious things. It is through knowing Jesus in a what kind of way? In a personal way, in an intimate way. And that's what he knew from that moment on. And you know what? He, he walked onto that plane spiritually dead. But he... He, got, he walked onto the plane spiritually dead, but he walked off the plane a brand new person. And that's how simple it is. And that's how easy it is. And now, hopefully, he went, he went from there and he had the same, the same enthusiasm and the same passion that Paul had. I want to get to know him. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. So he can give us an excellent life. He can give us eternal life. And the last thing might be uh, good news for most of us. I think that he can give us, and he wants us to know him, 
because he can give us an energized life. Now, how many of us need to be energized? I've been taking some B12. Has, any, has anybody ever taken B12 and noticed a difference? I kind of do. kind of have a little more energy. I don't know if it's psychosomatic all in my head or not. But I, I feel like I've got a little more in me, you know? Anyway, Paul talks about this energy, this unstoppable energy, if you will, in verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already attained or I am already perfected, but I press on. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting all that stuff back there and reaching towards those things that are out there. I press towards the goal for the of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. So God doesn't give us a new life so that we can just sit down and look around and see what everybody else is doing. Now, we can sit down and look around for about an hour or so on a Sunday morning. That's okay, right? That's preaching. That's, that's Sunday morning service. But that's not why He saves us. That's not why He gives us eternal life. He wants, us, well, he wants to give us a life that's full of energy, purpose, service, and meaning. And isn't that what you want in your life? You want your life to have meaning. You want your life to have purpose. He can take care of that. And so Paul pressed on. And it helps us to remember, well, you might think, well, well, you know, Paul, come on. Uh, Paul had it easy. And if you studied Paul at all, you know he didn't have it easy. He, he had it tough, didn't he? He was, even in the last, in chapter 1 of Philippians, he talked about how he was a prisoner. And he had been in chains. And people that were close to him were, had almost died. And he was, he had grief upon grief laid upon him. He had some tough, difficult situations going on in his life. He was in extreme trouble. But in verse 12, he says, but I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. Now, what is this? Is this saying, okay, you just got to, you got to, you got to pull your, I said this the other week, and I should have looked it up to make sure I say it right, but he pulled himself up by his bootstrap, you know, and, and got to work and rolled his sleeves up, and, and he said, I got to work hard for the Lord. I got to do this, and I got to do that. And I have to do this and I have to do that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about he gave him the energy, the God-given energy to press on and to keep going. And it wasn't that he had to or else he would be in trouble or God would just forget about him. He wanted to press on because it's something he desired to do. It's like a man who has known Jesus for 25 years saying, I want to know him. I want to know him. Is that where we're at? Is that the passion that we have? He wanted more of a knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like stretching your whole body out so you can cross the finish line before anybody else, right? You understand what I'm saying? It's, you just want to go. You want to keep moving. You want to keep going. And he knew that Christ transformed his life. But he knew there was so much more that he wanted to know, and so much more that God could show him. Do you remember reading, uh, I can't remember the reference, but Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. You remember him saying that? He didn't say that about his pre-conversion life before he came to know Christ. He would have said, oh, the wretched man that I was. He said, oh, the wretched man that I am. I want to know him. I want to know more about him. He felt like he had a ways to go. And so, 
So he he wanted to keep moving. He wanted to keep pressing forward. He wanted to reach forward to those things that were ahead and not let things of the past. Because do you not think Paul was was a person that the enemy tried to always throw his past up in his face? Remember what you did to to the church? Remember how you persecuted people? Remember the things that you did? Remember the things that you allowed? Remember the things that you instigated? But those things were in the past. Those things had been redeemed. Those things were forgiven. And he didn't want to go back there again. He wanted to move forward. He wanted to press forward with God-given energy. I've got a couple of quotes I want to give you, and I'm, I'm just done. Uh, George Whitfield said, George Whitefield, I'm sorry, said, I am never better than when I am on full stretch for God. And then David Livingston, he was a missionary to Africa. I love this. this I could sit and think about this for a couple hours and not wrap my mind fully around what he's saying. I am, he said, I'm willing to go in any direction provided it is forward. Think about that. I'm willing to go in any direction provided it is forward. I love that. And then Jonathan Edwards, he said this. To, he wanted to live. He said, I want to live with all my might while I live. I want to live with all my might while I live. That's like saying, I want to live while I live. I want to eat while I'm eating. I want to sleep while I'm sleeping. And I want to live with all my might while I live. And finally, a, a poem from Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary to India. We've talked about her before. She wrote this. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. So God wants us to know Him because He can give us the life that whether we realize it or not, that we long for. And here's what we can do. And this is how you and I can press on and press forward. It's very simple. And it's what we're all uh, really, we all should be involved in these things. The first thing is this, we've got to listen to God. Listen to God. How do you listen to God? You read the Bible. How do you listen to God? You, you go to preaching. You go to teaching. You go to a Bible study. Listen to God. Listen to what God's trying to tell you. Listen to what God's trying to tell me. And then I look to God. And looking to God is spending time in prayer. And we may think that prayer is just so repetitive. And it's like I'm saying the same prayer every day. Maybe that's your dilemma. Well, let me suggest this to you. On Sunday, pray for the people you know that are sick. On Monday, pray for your country. On Tuesday, pray for your church. Make a certain day a certain area that you pray for or you pray about. Then if you've got things that you want to remember every day, you throw them in there as well. And to once again, to be looking to God and seeing how God is working, keep a prayer journal. Date when He answers your prayers. Then you can look back and see God's faithfulness, and that will cause your faith to increase and become stronger. And you'll be changed from glory to glory. So we, so we listen and we look 
And finally, we live for him. And basically, living for him means that when we walk out our door every day, we say, okay, God, this, this is yours. Use it. Talk through it. Shine through it. Live through it. Do whatever you want to do. Help me to be effective in the areas that I can be effective in. And use me and the, the gifts that you have given to me. Help me to live for you. Help me to allow you to live through me. And this is how you and I can know him. More than just the facts that every Christian knows. More than just the casual acquaintance. Personal and intimate. As Paul longed for. And as Paul, what Paul desired in his life as well. I want you to stand. And as you bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to share a final illustration with you. I believe you've got it. I believe you understand the personal aspect of the relationship. Not just a head knowledge. We've said it that way before. Not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge. So we live in a day and time where we can get information just like that. Because we've got our smartphones. We've got our tablets. We've got our computers. We can come up with information in a snap. As long as we've got a good connection. Good Wi-Fi, right? Well, you could, you could try to answer the question, how long does it take to climb Mount Everest? And you can Google that or whatever, and you can get numerous answers. And somebody will tell you, oh, from start to finish, it takes this long. Or, or it's estimated that the average person can climb Mount Everest in such and such a time. But nothing compares to you speaking to an individual who has actually climbed Mount Everest for himself. Who will be able to explain to you the time that went into conditioning his body, the time that went into buying the necessary items that he would need, and the time it took from start to finish to get to the top or to where he was to climb to. And you won't receive the passion of what it was like just by reading just by reading facts. But when you speak to somebody who's been through it and done it, they can give you the full effect of what it is. And that's the difference between having a head knowledge of God and having a heart knowledge of God. To know Christ, that was Paul's desire, to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. To know Him intimately. To know Him personally. As they, as they uh, play some music, I want you to think about how do I know Him? Some of you may have to answer that question. I don't really know Him. I know of Him. I things about Him. I just don't feel like I, I know Him. And maybe your desire and your prayer this morning is to know Him. And you can. And you can do it today. And you can do it this morning if you would like to come. And maybe you do know him, but you long for that same passion and the same desire that Paul talked about. It is so easy to, to become complacent because there are so many things to take our attention away from it. But what is your desire 
when it comes to your knowledge of God and your relationship with Jesus? Is it where you want it to be? Are you comparing it to others and saying, well, I feel like I'm just as close, if not closer than them? That's not, that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to have the same passion that Paul had, if not more. You see, the more we know Him, the more we'll understand, I think, His passion for us. He gave His life for us. Yes, He did. He, he shed His blood for us. He experienced agony. He was spat upon. He was yelled at. He was mocked. He was cursed. And He did that for me. And I want to try and understand why anybody would do that for me. Why anyone would think I was worth it. And as we study and as we read, these are the things that are revealed to us. As we know Him more, these are the questions that are answered. And the only response can, can be praise and thanksgiving. As we get ready to pray to be dismissed, I wanted to let everyone know we, we have had phone issues this past week, so we haven't been able to send out the phone tree. And hopefully most everybody has heard, if not everybody,